Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Thank you again for being here today. We're so glad to have you. And uh, God is on the move. We're, we're so excited about what's happening in the life of our church. I'll share a couple of great things with you at the conclusion today. And I want us to head back to the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 10. And just again, by way of sort of introduction, we've got a brand new series starting one week after Mother's Day. Now, ladies, I have something very special that God's put on my heart for next week about a mother's marvelous love. In fact, I'm going to be curious to know how many of you have ever heard a Mother's Day message from the Old Testament story I'm going to share next week. Um, it's a very powerful story. Spoke to me years ago. Never saw it as a Mother's Day message, but I think um, God laid it on my heart maybe five or six years ago, and I want to share it with you. And uh, just encourage you next week, ladies. So it'll be a very special day. And uh, if, you're, if you're able, we would encourage you to bring friends and family with you, maybe your mom if she's not a part of Grace. But this new series we're entering is actually in the book of 1 John, written by, of course, the same beloved disciple that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the Revelation. He wrote the last book of our Bible. So he received Revelation on the Isle of Patmos and finishes our Bible with Revelation. But we're going to be talking about blessed assurance. And we're going to talk about light in a world that seems to be calling light dark and dark light and has some things upside down, and in a world that seems to be trying to redefine love, but God gets to define love because God is love, and in a world where life with Christ kind of can look funny sometimes, and so how can we know that we know and have blessed assurance and live in the light, love, and life with Christ? So we're going to take a journey all the way through First John. It'll be quite a few months, and so um, when you can, if you're not here, catch up with us, but I wanted to set the stage by talking about this text from John's gospel, John chapter 10. We've already learned that when we look at the good shepherd, he provides security for his sheep. In a world with a lot of fear and uncertainty, we need to know that we're secure and safe in Christ and the good shepherd provides sustenance for his sheep, everything we need, everything to eat and drink and clothes and all that we need, maybe not all that we want. And this is the difference between, uh, it's one of the differences between the true gospel and what's often called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel almost puts Jesus out there as a cosmic genie. And if you rub the lamp just right, you just get your wishes. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Now we're going to see two more truths today about the good shepherd and some things swirling around that. So let's start by reading the word of God together. John 10, 1 through 11. Would you stand in the honor of the reading of God's word and... Let's pick this back up. So remember, some of these religious folks have been questioning the Lord. The man born blind has been healed. They've never seen anything like that, and they really don't understand. Who is this guy? Who does this Jesus think he is? And so he says, most assuredly, verily, verily, amen, amen. Listen carefully. This is important. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Notice he doesn't push them, he leads them. 
And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they'll by no means follow a stranger, but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things he spoke to them. So Jesus goes on and he says to them again, most assuredly, this is important, listen up, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. All of those prophets, all of those false messiahs, all of those religious elitists that thought they were somebody, no, they're not the real deal. He says again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, look at this, he will be saved, and he'll go in and out and find pasture. And if you don't have this one memorized, folks, You ought to just memorize John 10.10. God will use it in your spirit to comfort you and encourage you. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful for your word. It is total truth. You have not stuttered or stammered. You are the door. You are the good shepherd who gives his life for us, the sheep. And you are the only way to find our security and our hope in this life and the life to come. God, we have heard from you now. We pray that you would continue to speak and that we might continue to listen and apply the truths that you give us today. More than anything today, God, I'm praying that if there is someone lost, if there's a sheep wandering, that the good shepherd would call and they would respond to his voice and become part of his family, his flock, that people would be saved here today. And that people would be saved listening online wherever they may be. Your spirit is powerful. He is moving. Your arm is not short that you cannot reach them. But you can reach everyone that will come to you by grace through faith today. So save many and bring others home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much and be seated. So. What are we going to learn? We find that he's given us security. He's giving us sustenance. Now, I love this. Point three, it is absolutely the most unpolitically correct, non-politically correct, however you say that. It's not PC, okay? But it's so biblically true. The good shepherd provides salvation, salvation for his sheep. I know we live in a universalistic world. Universalism, oh, every way will get you there. Pluralism, oh, you try this, you try that. A multitude of ways. Syncretism, give me a piece of this and a piece of that. All sorts of isms. Sort of the Oprah theology that's pervasive. Well, God or the gods are up on the mountain. He or she or it or them. And there are multiple paths and you call your road this and you call your road that. And you take your path and your path and your path. And they're equally valid because it's your truth. And the Bible says, baloney. Not true. There's one way. And you can't go up the mountain to God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is proof that we can't work our way to God. Our good shepherd provides salvation for his sheep. You see, in verses 1 to 5, Jesus was the shepherd. But in verses 7 and following, he's the gate or the door. 
to security. While in verse 1 through 5, the shepherd led the sheep in and out of the pen, here in verse 9, he is the very entrance to that pen. And so he gets us to and from. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now look at this. He'll go in and out. That doesn't mean saved, lost, saved, lost. doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means you have freedom in Christ, liberty in Jesus. He takes you in. You have safety and security. He takes you out. You have the still waters. You have the green pastures. He gives you all of these things. You'll remember with me. That Jesus made this very, very clear just a few chapters later in John 14 and verse 6. Let's put it on the screen. Let's think about the context of that verse. Jesus has already had the last supper with his disciples, what we now call the Lord's Supper. He's already washed their feet. Judas has already gone out to betray him. And so Jesus' time is very short on this earth. And he would tell his disciples who were sort of downcast and disturbed, he said, fellas, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And old Thomas was over in the corner going, uh, Rabbi? Yes, Thomas, Uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what did Jesus tell him? Without stuttering or stammering, without mixing it up, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he is the gate, the door, the pathway, the only way in. You see, Jesus is is the one who alone provides salvation. Several scholars have cited examples across time of shepherds not only leading their sheep in and out of the enclosure, the pen, sometimes with quite high walls, but also laying their body down as the very door to the sheep pen. And like God in the Old Testament, Christ is Israel's shepherd, but also he is the singular entry point to the Father. Jesus serves, I wrote it like this, Jesus serves as the sole means to approach the Father and partake of God's promised salvation. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, pictures himself here as the gate. And what's wonderful in verse 9, I'm the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That word saved, sozo, it's the most common Greek word used for salvation. It means you're going to be rescued, delivered, kept safe. You're going to be preserved. You're going to be made well. It's this idea that, you know, uh, the enemies are out there. They're kind of like wolves or coyotes, and they're out to get you. The Bible says our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus says, I will protect you. How does he protect us? How does he save us? Well, verse 11 tells us, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life the sheep. Now, folks, that's the gospel in a nutshell. I don't know how you could see the gospel any other way. Jesus says, I am willing to die for you. 
I am willing to take all of your sin and all of your shame and everything you've ever done or everything you ever will do that would separate you from Almighty God, the holiest one, and I will take it on me, and I will die for you, sheep. I will give my life so that you may live. That is the truth of the gospel. The gospel is all about the finished work of Christ, and we add nothing to it. Some of you maybe have heard me explain the bridge illustration before. One of my Greek professors said a statement. He said it very quickly one day in the midst of a lecture. In fact, it's interesting that he was a Greek professor, but he just was talking about the gospel, and he was talking about salvation. And he made this statement, and I wrote it down, and I've said it for years and years. It's been 20 years since I heard it the first time. And he said this, If every bridge is out but one, it's not hate to tell people about the one bridge, and it's not love to tell people that any bridge will get them to the other side. That's such a powerful statement. When I first heard that, I thought about a place that our church was ministering to at the time. I thought it was Hazard County, but a sweet lady in the first service said, no, she was from there. It's actually not Hazard County. That's the Dukes of Hazard, I think. It's, it's Hazard the city or the town, and it's in Perry County. But have any of you ever heard of Hazard, Kentucky? Hazard, Kentucky, yeah, it's a beautiful place, but there is a lot of poverty in Hazard, Kentucky. And for 13, 14 years, our first church, where I was an associate pastor, took trips to Hazard, Kentucky every year. And we have some ministries here that minister in that area. And we took tractor trailers and box trucks, and we took all kinds of things. We took a lot of clothing, baby supplies. We'd go to the volunteer fire stations. We'd go to schools and churches. We'd do big worship services. We'd see people come to Christ. It was a great time. But we would also not only preach the kingdom, we'd love on them physically. We'd help them. You don't want to say, hey, go off and be warmed and filled and give them nothing. That's faith without works, which is dead. So our faith works. We gave them things for the body and the soul. And I remember some of those communities in Hazard, Kentucky, just kind of shocking because there would be maybe a, a road, kind of paved road, and then there might be a, a, a creek. Y'all know what a creek is? Not in your neck, but a creek. And you had this waterway or a big ditch or gully or maybe more of a little baby river, and then across there, there'd be a lot of houses and so the, the, it looked to me, now I don't know this to be sermon, but it looked to me like families, these were, looked private, it looks like families made these bridges. And there might be several down a long strip to get kind of from here to there, but it was the only way over. And I often thought when I heard that, about the time I first heard that we were ministering it there, I thought about this. What if there were three or four bridges to get to a particular community across the creek and a, a big storm blew through, and all of those bridges were destroyed, it just except one, right? Just one bridge. Maybe the Pastor Jeffrey Davis, I wouldn't say Memorial Bridge because you're still with us, but the Pastor Jeffrey Davis Family Bridge, the Davis Family Bridge survived. Now, think about this for a minute. Big fog sets into hazard, Perry County, and, and you can't really see anything, but you've been out, and you've got to get home. You gotta check on your wife and your up there, I'm sure you'd say youngins. We still say that here. Your youngins, you're gonna you gotta get home. And so Jeff calls you and he says, Hey, I hate to tell you, but y'all's bridge is washed out. And their bridge is washed out, and their bridge is washed out, but my bridge, my bridge is still standing. So if you want to get over here, now the only way you're gonna get here safely is you're gonna have to come across my bridge. Now, what would you say to him? Oh, 
That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Jeff, you're so narrow-minded. Such a bigot. You think yours is the only way. And Jeff's on the other end of the line going, well, I, I, I love you enough to tell you. And you say, no, 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 no. My bridge will be just fine. And there you go, taking off in the fog and splat. You end up at the bottom of the creek or the ravine or whatever it is. No, in real life, you'd say, oh, man, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that yours is the only way. Yesterday, we finished a fishing tournament. There was a big wreck not far from the Concord Marina. Somebody called and checked on us just a few minutes after we had pulled out. Hey, are you guys okay? Did y'all make it through all of that? Well, I didn't say, what's wrong with you? Why are you asking me that? I knew they called because they cared. See, in real life somehow, we've come to the place where telling folks the truth about Jesus, that he is the only way to eternal and abundant life, that you cannot be saved any other way, friend. It is not by good works. It is not by giving a lot of money to the new pledge campaign called Freedom for the Future, though you ought to. It's not by coming to church a lot. It's not by being a nice guy or nice gal. It's not by obeying all of the law. You come to God through Jesus or you don't come at all. That's what we got to tell people. But they say, oh, that is so narrow-minded. Yes, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few that will find it, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. You hear me say all the time, this culture has become so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. What is going on with this world? My friends, it's loving to tell folks Jesus is the only way, and it's equally loving to say no other bridge will get you across the great divide. Jesus is the only hope, the only way, the only door. I wrote some things down, and I know I can't hit every category, but just as I prayed and I thought, some of you guys may be facing some real storms today, maybe financial hardship, family tension, marital problems, drug or alcohol-related issues for you or a loved one family, other family, or relational tension. Maybe some teenagers are here or kids and you've got some issues with mom or dad or brother or sister. Food. Any number of things. I could go on and on and on. But I want to say to you that Jesus can deliver you from all of those things. And I'm not trying to do some kind of prosperity thing here. I'm simply saying that you can be thankful today because Jesus can deliver you not only from the, the enemy of your soul, the enemy who wants you to separate you from God, but Jesus can deliver you. He can save you in every way. He took all of your sins at Calvary. That's what Tetelestai meant when he cried, it is finished. He meant everything you've ever done, past, present, or even future, was paid in full. So that it's not by your personal effort that you get made right with God. It is by what Jesus has already done. All of your sin was nailed there with his sinless body to the cross of Calvary. And the problem we tend to have is that we want to take our burdens back. And we believe that we are self-sufficient to relieve ourselves of life's challenges. But Jesus would say, come to me. All all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you just need to rest in Christ today. You have forgotten to be still and know that he is God. You just need to stop.
The good shepherd provides security. He provides sustenance. He provides salvation. Now, from those nouns, I'm gonna shift and give you an adverb to follow. I don't do a whole lot of alliteration, but the word works and it's right in line with what the scripture says. So I'm gonna go from what he provides to how he provides and we'll end with this. Jesus, the good shepherd, provides supremely for his sheep. Supremely. In the first three points here, we have what he's giving us, now how he's giving it. You see, we could just spend a lifetime listing the things Christ provides for us. In fact, if you've heard anything I've said today, that hearing is an ability that God gave you. Not everybody has that. Don't forget to count your blessings. If you could see me today, you may not think it's much of a blessing, but that's okay. Cindy does, I think. So, If you can see me today, that's a gift from God because you have the eyes to see. If you're sitting there breathing in and out, especially if you don't have to do it through a mask, you can breathe in and out. And just the fact that, that life-giving oxygen is going into your body, the fact that your heart is beating, the fact that you could get up and actually come to church or that you had the means to look at a phone or a tablet or a television or a radio, all of those gifts from God. And you, you say, but pastor, you don't get it. I'm a self-made man. I work hard and I get up and I provide for my family. You wouldn't be able to get up if God didn't give you the get up. You wouldn't be able to do anything if the Lord had not given you the body and the power so whatever it is, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, what's the Bible say? Do all to the glory of God. Jesus gives us life, and look at this, life more abundantly. Perisos. Uh, perisos, perisos, it's this Greek word here in John 10. Look at it, the thief. I learned it this way, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that thou might have life and have it more abundantly. If we have this abundant life, porisos life, it means beyond measure, to the full, or supreme, supremely. He gives life supremely, not just survive, but thrive, and there is a big difference. James 1 says it this way, every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we, men and women and boys and girls, people of God, we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And I would simply tell you this, on the authority of the word of God and having lived it in my own life, everything you could ever be, or do or have in this life and in the life to come is better with God. Everything is better with God. You know, the, the thing about it is, folks, sometimes we see the wicked prosper. Sometimes we see people that maybe even aren't the wicked, but they're not Christian. And they're really, uh, maybe they look good in our eyes. You have to measure good by God's scale, though, not by our scale. But they look good and you think, well, they have it better than I do. They have a better marriage and a better job and a better family. Look at that. They don't even try to walk with God. Let me say a couple of things about that. Number one, you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. In fact, we look at the Hollywood elitists. We look at the, the uh, superstars, the, 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 the movie stars, the athletes, and do we not see a tremendous amount of personal chaos 
A lot of times we found, I mean, was anybody in this room shocked when Kanye and Kim had a divorce? Did anybody get shocked by that? Oh, I thought they'd be together forever. No, because what we find is there's a lot of discontent even when you have all the fame and power and money that, and buy anything you want. We find a lot of discontent in that. And, and there's a reason, folks. Number one, many times those who look like they have it so good are much more miserable than you know because you haven't walked a mile in their shoes. And number two, in the long run, In the long run, it is always better to walk with Jesus, better to suffer and mourn for a short season in this life and rejoice and party for eternity than to rejoice and party temporarily in this life and to suffer for all eternity. Because I don't care what people say and I don't care what lost folks try to do when they say, well, I'm lost and I'm good with that and we're going to have a great big party down there. There is no party down there. There's eternal torment and separation and pain and agony and we should never speak of hell with joy in our voice or our heart it's an awful thing and Jesus says I don't want you going there I paid the price for you all you got to do is hear my voice and follow me that's what Jesus says follow me I'm not going to push you to God I'm not going to drive you to heaven but that's my destination. I'll lead you there. If you'll hear my voice, if by faith you'll come after me. Men, you're going to be a better husband if you follow Jesus. No, you're not going to be him, but you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better father. Ladies, you're going to be a better wife and mother if you follow Jesus. You're going to be a better son or daughter, a better student and a better grandparent, a better employee and a better employer, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better church member, a better everything. I did not say perfect. I said better. Because when you really know Jesus, your priorities get realigned. Things come into focus and you realize that in the end of it all, Jesus and Jesus alone gives us this full and abundant life. I read something interesting some time back in an article. It just said, you know, it's something that we're not called human doings. We're called human beings. Because being a human is really not about what you do. It's about who you are. You are one from, now listen, from the moment of conception, not birth. The birth canal does not magically turn tissue into a person. From the moment of conception, you are made in the image of Almighty God who is weaving you, who is knitting and forming you in your mother's womb. You are a special creation. And if nobody else has told you lately that they love you, God loves you. Jesus said, I love you this much. He loves you as far as east is from west and as wide and as broad as this world is. Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit love you. He died for you. He lives for you. He intercedes for you. You must trust him because it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. You're a human being. And so it's my being that gets changed by Christ. Fulfillment and true joy and contentment and peace. 
you are never going to find it in the things of this world. If you don't believe me, go out and, and buy you something brand new, something big and shiny. Spend a lot of money on it. Let your pastor drive it, whatever it is. <laughs> but the first time you get a ding in the door or a big scratch, oh, your joy, it goes flying away like a dove. Joy is so temporal in the things of this world. Try to be famous. I've met some famous people. I've talked to some famous people. I've talked to some people to the very top of their game in my life. And you know what? It can be very, very lonely at the top. And so think about this. How am I going to have a contentment, a peace that surpasses all understanding? How am I going to have a full, abundant life? Follow the shepherd. Trust in the one who is himself the author and the finisher of our faith. Talk to the one who is life. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Do you know his voice? If you know it, are you following his voice? What have we learned? The good shepherd provides security and sustenance and salvation and he provides all of it supremely for his sheep. Let me, let me close this morning with a little story. It came in Reader's Digest way back in 87, but it's a true story that I had tracked down. I'd heard it some years ago. It's about a gentleman named Walter Wyatt Jr. I'll just give it to you. Normally the flight from Nassau to Miami took Walter Wyatt Jr. only about 65 minutes. But it was December the 5th, 1986, when he attempted this flight after thieves had looted the navigational equipment from his little beach craft. With only a compass and a handheld radio, Walter flew into skies blackened by storm clouds. When his compass began to gyrate, Walter concluded he was headed in the wrong direction. So he flew his plane below the clouds, hoping to spot something over the water. But soon he knew he was lost. He put out a mayday call, which brought a Coast Guard Falcon search plane to lead him to an emergency landing strip only six miles away. But Wyatt's right engine suddenly coughed and it died. His fuel tank had run dry. And around 8 p.m., Wyatt could do little more than glide the plane into the water. Now, he was a good pilot, and so he was not killed on impact. He survived the crash. But his plane disappeared quickly, and it left him bobbing in the water in a leaf, leaky life vest. With blood on his forehead, he was floating on his back. And suddenly, he felt a hard bump against his body. This is the part of the story I was going to go to the piano and go, doo -doo, but I didn't. You, you get where I'm coming from. A shark had found Wyatt. Wyatt kicked, and, and the deadly intruder left him alone, and he just wondered if he would ever survive the night. He did actually manage to stay afloat for the next 10 hours. In the morning, Wyatt saw no planes, but in the water, there was a big dorsal fin heading toward him. And again, we'd go, do, 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 right? And he twisted a little bit, and he felt the shark's hide brush against him. In a moment, two more bull sharks slice through the water toward him, and he's kicking, and they're veering away, but he's nearing exhaustion. And according to Wyatt himself, it was about that time that he heard the sound of a distant aircraft, and when it got to within about a half a mile, he began to wave that orange vest frantically. And the pilot radioed the Cape York just 12 minutes away in the water, and it said, get moving, Cutter. There are sharks targeting this guy. 
And as the Cape York pulled alongside Wyatt, a ladder was dropped over the side and Wyatt climbed wearily out of the water onto the ship where he fell to his knees and he kissed the deck. Now, I'm a little germophobic, but I'm not sure that I wouldn't have kissed the deck too. I might have licked the deck if you saved me from sharks. Walter Wyatt had been saved. Walter Wyatt was celebrating. He was a rescued man. He said it felt so good just to be alive. And here's the thing. He didn't need a little more encouragement or better technique. Nothing but outside intervention could have rescued him from sure death. And as I read the account, I thought that people are a lot like Walter Wyatt. Only outside intervention could rescue us from sure death. But if we're part of the rescued ones, if we've been saved and secured and we're sustained by the good shepherd, well, why aren't we celebrating that? Now, you, you might say, well, pastor, I've been saved a long time. I celebrated that years ago. But if you've really been brought from death to life and darkness to light and separation from God and suffering into eternity and glory with your maker, eternal and abundant life, could you possibly meet the Lord and then say, ah, that was a long time ago. Friend, I came to Jesus over 35 years ago, and the truth is I hadn't gotten over it since then. I can't stand it when people act like they're sucking on lemons and coming up in church and looking up here at me like, well, why don't you just try to bless me? Man, Jesus has already blessed you. You have everything you need for now and for the life to come. And if you want to come to grace, we're going to celebrate up in here. If you want to be a part of a funeral service, you can find somewhere else to go. But we're going to get happy about Jesus in this place. Because if we love him, we're going to notify our face. We're going to live like he is our good shepherd. Stand with me this morning. Now listen, some of y'all think, that man's done gone crazy up there. Well, you need to come to know the Jesus I know. You need to come to be a part of the family. You know, if you can't celebrate, I mean, some of y'all standing in here so sour, you're looking like Dallas Cowboy fans. Come on. Now. Oh, oh, oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Even the, even the NFL draft can only help so much, right? Look, y'all, <laughs> I'm just going to be straight with you. You cannot have lasting joy, peace, and contentment without Jesus. Some of you just keep trying to work it up on your own. You just, man, just, I give up, I give up, I give up, I can't do it. This is when God can use you. This is when God can bless you. This is when God can take you and transform you. I've never had a fish or a turkey or a deer or anything else that I've cleaned before the harvest. You've got to come into the family and let Jesus do a transformative work, a metamorphosis from the inside out. I don't know what you're facing today, but I know with this many people here and so many more tuned in, I, I know there's a lot of stuff out there. And all I can tell you is Jesus is the only way, the only real truth, the only hope for life and life to come. Come to him today. If you need to trust him, pastors are going to be standing right over here on both sides by the stairs. Miss Cindy and I, along with pastors and counselors, will be available in just a few minutes at the conclusion of the service. 
Don't leave with uncertainty. Don't leave going, what do they have that I don't? It's simple. Jesus. We have Jesus, and you need him too. So come and let us show you how you can be a part of the family of faith. Some of you need to come back to him and listen to me, guys. Some of you guys love the Lord, but you need to pray for somebody today. You need to take somebody before the throne of God. You need to be their intercessor. You say, I've prayed for him a hundred times, then today's 101. You need to come. You need to lay it all out before King Jesus. And some of you, can we just be real? It's been a long time since you've been happy and found the joy of your salvation. You need to come and say, Jesus, I need to cry out a Psalm 51 prayer to you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. You don't have to have all that memorized by heart. You just have to say, Jesus, I need your joy again. When I say amen, you come. Heavenly Father, I praise you today. I love you today. I know you might be thinking, well, Bobby, you told me that earlier today. I sure did, Lord, and I hope I say it a million times a million more until I get to see you face to face. I'm the least of all of these who deserve to be standing on this platform at this pulpit. I recognize that I'm the least. But you take the weak and foolish things of the world at times to confound the wise. So I pray today that you would draw people unto yourself as only you can do. I pray today that some would be drawn back. The joy of your salvation would be restored in their heart today. I pray today that we would stand in the gap as intercessors on behalf of those we love that so desperately need a touch from you right now. I pray also for my precious friends in India who are suffering today. This virus is ravaging the Indian people right now. And I know it's been all over the world, but particularly in these days, it's very, very tough there. And so I pray, I pray for our sweet brothers and sisters that number into the millions in that nation. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for Christ, our good shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen.